0: you have a Bible this morning and you'll read along with us, we're going to take a reading from the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 3, and we're going to begin in the 14th verse and read through verse 22, so it's the book of Revelation, chapter 3, we'll begin our reading at verse 14 and read to the end of the chapter. the Apostle John that is writing here, and he is recording the words that Jesus is speaking to seven different churches, and he identifies those churches and has some positive things to say to some of them and some not so pleasant things to say to others, and we're going to look at the very last church that he spoke to and some of the words that he spoke to them today. And under the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These these things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot, I would thou wert cold or hot, so then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, but be zealous therefore and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh, will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and was set down with my Father in His throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. I'll conclude our reading this morning and apologize for any mistakes I may have made in the reading today. The title that we would like to place upon the message this morning is a useful church. A useful church. Now, some of you may have, you're probably well acquainted with this uh, scripture, and of all the seven churches, this is probably the most famous from these two chapters in Revelation 2 and 3, and you're likely expecting a blistering rebuke, because that's usually what happens at this point, point. Um, and that's certainly not the intent of my heart this morning whatsoever, uh, quite the opposite, actually, quite the opposite. Um, So here's what we have. We have this church. And he tells us there, I believe in verse 17, that they have a certain perception of themselves. I think they're rich. uh, Not just sufficiently supplied for, but they were under the impression that they were rich. And Jesus tells them quite the opposite. Notice how descriptive that Christ is in that verse describing their real state versus their self-perceived state. He says this, Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Now, if this does not illustrate well enough a truth that is interwoven in all of Scripture, I don't know what does. And that is, God's perception is wholly different than our perception. And the contrast here is breathtaking they're almost boastful in how well-equipped they are and prepared they are for what is ahead, how sufficiently they have of the world's goods. And then from God's vantage point, he gives a description. And he says, from my vantage point, I see something entirely different and quite opposite of what you see. You are poor and blind and naked and miserable. And what we can naturally deduce from this is that they're looking at two different things. The church at Laodicea was known to live in a city that was at this point prosperous. And they as a people had put their minds upon the carnal things And it was benefiting them as a people and they were prosperous and so as they're looking at all those economic things, they're patting themselves on the back and they're feeling good about themselves. And yet, as the Bible tells us, as God looked down and spoke to Samuel there in the First Samuel chapter 16, and he saw Samuel's looking at Eliab, the older brother of David, and he thinks to himself, certainly this is the man who will become king his stature the way that he carries himself he's a warrior he's the oldest child certainly he is the one that god has prepared and god speaks this truth so powerfully to him and says god looketh not as man god seeth not as man seeth for man looketh on the outward appearance but god looketh upon the heart And what is a truism that has resounded through the echoes of history is that most of the time, the people who appear to our eyes to be rich and well put together, who appear to be successful, who have uh, nothing in life that from the outward perception they have a need of, they have a great destitution of the soul. And here he is applying that To the people of God. I say this morning, don't in your own self get caught up in how things appear to other people. It's a dangerous thing and it's a slippery slope because once you start on the path of pleasing people, it's a hard path to step away from. No, the Bible calls us to a higher life based upon standards that are unchanging to a person who is perfect. And that is God's standards. And in order to be a useful, and this is the title of our message this morning, a useful church, the people composing that church must be useful. So what do we mean by that? What is What is a useful person from the perspective of God? Well, the first thing that I think that scripture identifies is that they abandon all measurables that the world sets forward. They're not looking for commendation or or, uh, a, a need to have people approve of what they're doing and how they're doing it, but there's a sense to which they completely lose sight of that. Because they recognize that the things of this world are completely transient and passing away. And so they look to the Lord. And what we know about the Lord's church from the teaching of his word is that for someone to be a member of the Lord's church, that they first must be born again. They must have a time and a place where God has saved them, where they know that, where they have not only been saved, but after being saved, that they have offered themselves to God's service. Or in other words, they have put on the uniform, identifying themselves with the people of God by being baptized. And that's what baptism is. It is a calling out that you've been saved by God's grace, and now you are stepping out of the world and the things that the world measures as success and the things that the, the world sets as purposes worth achieving, and you're saying, I am stepping away from that. The word church in the Greek is ekklesia, which just means a calling out or a called out people. When God saves a person, he calls them out from a life, a temporal life, unto one. Not setting up, as Jesus said in Matthew 16, where we're setting up treasures on earth, where moth does corrupt and thieves break through and steal, but rather that our eyes and affections are set on setting treasures in heaven. And this week, and I hope to get to that, I believe there have been treasures set up in heaven this week. And I'll ask you that have been here all week, Has there anything you've done in the last year that surpasses the joy that you've experienced this week? A resounding no on my end. There is no amount of treasure. There's no amount of accomplishment. There's no amount of uh, accolades that have surpassed just dwelling in the presence of God's people when God has been with us this week. See, a useful person is someone who yields themselves to believer's baptism that says, I want to be part of the people of God set apart to accomplish the purposes of God. And that's what you're doing when you join the Lord's church. Is you have set your eyes on a higher stand. It's not a club. Right? It's not something where we say, you know, I'm part of the Alex Club, I'm part of the Masonic Club, and now I'm part of Old Union Church Club. No. No, we're saying I'm stepping apart and now my focus is going to be different than what it would have been had I not joined these people. And then he begins to talk to this church and he says to this church in Laodicea, you're missing the mark a little bit. That I would have you to be hot or to be cold but you're just lukewarm. Now, you often hear that preached, and I think it's, there's a little um, error in the way it's expressed. Oftentimes they'll say, you know, God wants you to be on fire for him or cold and indifferent. Now, that should, right off the bat, kind of strike you funny. God wants you to be cold? No, not at all. Right? Now, to understand this message, what God does here is what God so often does, he's speaking a message that the heart of the Laodiceans through their life would better understand than what we would. Because you see, their location, this analogy would have jumped out to them. You see, they're six miles away from any water source. And so what the Romans had done is they had built aqueducts that had to travel six miles from the location of the, uh, the source all the way to their city. And very often what would happen is that water would come and it would stagnate. And it would slowly work down those aqueducts. And then finally, when it got to its end source, it was lukewarm. Now, if you go out here after a rainy season, and you see water that has puddled up, that has been there for days, or if you go to even a a lake, and you're fishing out there, and there's a part of that lake that has not been touched by anyone or any life, you'll notice that water stagnates. And often, it stinks. Really bad. And at the core, it's useless. You can't bathe with it. You see, that's the whole analogy he's using here. saying hot water has value. It can be used medicinally. It can be used to cook. It can be used to bathe. And so there is a usefulness in having hot water. There is a usefulness in cold water. Obviously, we can drink it. And so there's benefits to being hot or to being cold water. But there is no benefit to having lukewarm, stale water. And he's telling that church, you've grown lukewarm. I want you to be either hot or cold. Or at the core of his message is, I want you to be useful. Now I say all that, the backdrop of this week. This week, Old Union Church has been useful to the Lord. I'm not going to badger people who haven't been here, but all I'll say is you've really missed something. God is doing something in the hearts of the people here. The first night, we had a number of visitors here. I'd say we probably had, I don't know how many. I'm, I'm terrible at guessing numbers. Probably 125 or more people here. That's just a guess. And, man, the Lord began to sweep through our congregation. Listen, I, I've been in plenty of services where people just cried for crying's sake. I know what emotion is. And that's not what was going on this week. No, the Lord was, as he desires to, Speaking to the hearts of people. And those people were being burdened to manifest the love and the word of the Lord to people. Listen, churches that have productions that look nice are not useful to the Lord. A useful people are ones who yield themselves to the spirit of God and say, in whatever capacity you desire to use me, Lord, I am yours. And they yield to that. Now, what has been wonderful about this week is this. We met from Sunday through Wednesday in the morning and in the evening. And then at Wednesday, we were supposed to dismiss. And night after night, people express the desire, we want to come back. And what is the normal expectation, or at least my normal experience has been in services like these? People get worn down. And they get tired. And they begin to draw back. And yet, Night after night and morning after morning that we met, it seemed as though we would come into the house of God and God would move within a different group of people and they would begin to get up and testify as to God's goodness and testify to God's movement in their life and blessings past and blessings present and God was using different people. And for me all week, it has been such a powerful reminder as to what God's church is intended to be Perpetually. And that is the idea behind the message this morning. God desires our church to be this way perpetually. That there is a sense to which churches over decades can grow stagnant. And there's this idea that stagnant water is just useless water. But I'll put it before you this morning. Stagnant water is not useless. It's dangerous. Would you ever recommend to somebody that they go and drink stagnant water even if they were starving to death, even if they were dying of thirst? My answer would be no. Why? Because in a cesspool like that is where harmful things will develop inevitably. And anyone who partakes of it, it's going to be a danger to them. Jesus here is giving us a contrast. You're either useful, cold, or hot. Or you're stagnant and by implication dangerous and unuseful. God has made our church this week very useful. Why has that been the case? Because people have been coming into the house of the Lord desiring to be useful themselves. See there's a lot of, um, there's an inordinate amount of trust, dependence is a better word. Put upon this office right here, as if week after week, the tone, the message that God wants to express is solely conducted through me. And listen, over and over in scriptures, what we find is something the complete opposite. And if you look in the book of Acts... The powerful thing about the book of Acts is that yes, God used men that were called of him, but if you'll notice it's called the Acts of the Apostles and from chapter 1 all the way through chapter 8, it is showing God's people yielding themselves to his influence, being sent out all over the world and them working together as useful people. The book of Corinthians and the book of Ephesians both affirm this truth when they compare God's people to a body and that one part is not to be duplicated over and over and over again or become too prominent within the body, but rather that God weaves us together. He puts us together as members in particular. You were led to this church to be a valuable component of this church. And you'll notice in this body of people that there are some people which exhibited their talents and gifts this morning by the teaching of His Word and they feel God's calling in their life is to be in a classroom with people, opening the word, executing that word for the welfare of people that they might take those truths and live them out. There are others this week who have gotten up perpetually and by the grace of the Holy Spirit has spoken edifying words, building people up at times when people were getting tired and people were getting discouraged and they spoke to those things and breathed life into people and encouragement to people, especially people who are going through a hard time. There are people here who will have a definite call towards evangelism where Their heart and their life is just broken for people who don't know God. And God has purposely put all of us differently together that we might manifest his calling for this church and be perpetually useful to him. That's what God wants. Don't look at other people and say, I'm not like him. I'm not like her. There are some people in the house of God that are called to talk a lot. Did you know that? I mean, really. There are some people whom God's gifting to them is that way. There are other people who sit back and listen and quietly serve. There are some people who God's reserves their voice for a different setting than perhaps publicly. Whatever. The ministration or the gift that God has disposed to you, many of those things have been on display this week. And God has found this church useful. I don't want to go back. I was thinking this week, I want my kids to grow up here. If the church is how it's been this week, that's where I want my kids to grow up. With no hesitation, there is nowhere else that I would rather be than this place this week. Oh, it, it cultivated a lot of conversation in our young home. My kids were very curious about what people were saying. And I mean, even as early as, as late as this morning, Jetson asked me about Sister Ashley's testimony today. Curious. Was she joining the church, or has she already joined the church? What a wonderful opportunity that I would say at least five or six times this week organically presented themselves to us. And I was eager. Oh, So often it's the opposite, right? When a church stagnates, you know, the hard thing about When you stagnate, and, and we're stepping away from the analogy for a minute, but when human beings stagnate and we get in this comfort zone with one another, I get comfortable with you not following the Spirit of the Lord. You get comfortable with me not following the Spirit of the Lord. And then it makes it all the more difficult when God moves us because our minds and our flesh begin to throw up all of these reasons why that we ought not to move towards being useful, hot or cold. And if you're like me, I find all the reasons in the world to talk myself out of letting God's Spirit use me. And yet the irony has been recently is that people who are generally silent have yielded themselves to the Lord. And what they're finding is it's a lot easier the next time when God begins to speak to them for them to continue to pour that things out on the people. And those things which have been spoken this week have been things that people have needed. And they've been within you the whole time. But perhaps we have not as a group been in a position where we have been willing or able to let those things be used of us. Here, he's telling them. And you know, he, he gives this analogy. And I, 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 I was going to the restroom this morning and I heard as I was walking there a little bit of your conversation back in the back Sunday school room and talking about taking scriptures out of context and you reference context, context, context. I believe I heard Brother Tim say is the rules of interpreting the scriptures. And, and verse 20 of our reading is one of the primary examples you could ever use of that. Because the world takes verse 20 of our reading and says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And they have taken that so out of context to talk about people who are uh, inviting to the Lord, to come to know the Lord. And yet we can see very plainly given this context that he's talking about the church. And the thought that overwhelmed me as I was preparing this message was, I believe this week God was knocking, and we let him in. Let's keep him here. He was knocking, and people were eager for him to come in. And notice what he says. He's not knocking to notify us of his presence, but here's what he wants to do. Verse 20 Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. He wants to come and dwell with us. That's God's will for our church. And we've seen it this week. Churches go through seasons. But here's the important part to note. You know, you go through a little season and people get after a week or two, they start getting uncomfortable with the fact that, hey, we're not used to this whole thing meeting together and just us being here. I don't like this very much. And so in the middle of the week, they begin to pray and they begin to ask God and they begin to reach out to one another. You know, one of the things, the barriers that often prevent us from allowing the Lord is that God uses us with us. Right? A lot of things that God does for his church are vertical. It's between me and the Lord. And I need him to speak to me. But very often in the beauty of God's design, it is meant to go from vertical to horizontal. And that is where there comes a point with all of us that we must have a love for one another and a trust with one another, that we're willing to be used by God for the service and ministry of one another. That there are people who have expressed this week difficulty that they're facing, hardship within, struggles that they're reluctant to let go of. You know that now. And as God's people who has binded us together, we're meant to be a community of believers that bears one another's burdens as if their burdens are our own. And when we are weak, the book of Galatians tells us in chapter 6 that whenever someone has fallen even into sin, that those who are spiritual restore them in meekness and fear. Think of that situation. It's such a short, it's two verses, verses one and verses two of Galatians chapter six. And yet, the application of that truth is so difficult from a human standpoint. Because first, there has to be an acknowledgement of sin. So imagine this morning if somebody stood up and said, In my marriage, we're struggling. And perhaps someone says, I have a pornography addiction that I'm struggling with. Do you know the mountain that is to just open up and say it to somebody? If you're going to go to anybody, come here. Come here. Christians are not perfect, nor will they be. And we're going to stumble, and we're going to fall. That's one of the reasons why you're part of this body. And what we have done is we have... Compartmentalized. We compartmentalize ourselves and our sins as if that's not a part of us when we come into the house of God. Whether we're trying to build a persona in front of the eyes of other people, whether we're trying to demonstrate some advanced maturity in our Christian walk, but listen, the truth of the scriptures be known. We even find those who are mature in their faith struggle. Was that not Peter's problem in Galatians chapter 2? A man who had walked with Jesus for three years. A man who had preached on the day of Pentecost and seen thousands saved. A man who had become the default leader of the early apostles and the early church and yet what we find in Galatians chapter 2 is that his mind became convoluted with uh, with things that people had taught that had confused the Jewish way with the Christian way and he he was not doing a lot of things right and the Bible tells us that Paul came and confronted him to his face and said he needed to stop doing what he was doing. And thankfully, Peter did. When we hide our problems, it's not only a debt. You know, we think we're going to hurt the church. No, you're going to hurt the church if you don't come in your spiritually struggling position. Confess it before them and have your brothers and sisters help you carry it. Or in other words, this don't deprive me of the opportunity to grow my love for you. I don't want to love perfect people. I want to love people who are broken. That's who Jesus even says himself that he was called to. And that's who we're called to. And the world will see and long for the love of God when they see the love of God coming through us towards sinful people that is a community of believers when we come together and there is sin and there is hardship and there is hardness in people that we come and we confess it before one another and we ask for help and we strengthen and encourage and do everything we can to restore them because that's the second part of Galatians chapter 6, verses 2 is that we restore them and meet. Weakness and fear. You know, that's involved sometimes. Very often what you find in sin, any type of sin, especially an addictive sin, is accountability is needed. And if you're the one has ever held, you ever hold an addict accountable before? I have. It's hard. I've gotten calls at two in the morning saying I'm feeling tempted and I don't know what to do. And drug myself out of bed and I drove over to their house and we went and got an early breakfast. That's what we're for. Wouldn't you much rather that, as a brother or sister in Christ, that God is utilizing why you're a part of this church, and we're finding ourselves useful to one another and to the rest of the world, then? I can't speak for here. I can only speak to the churches I have been a member at here recently. But based upon what we, compared to what we have been doing. And that is rich according to the world. Poor, blind, destitute, and naked from God's vantage point. I come before you this morning, church. Oh, how I long for this week not to be an anomaly. I don't want it to be an exception. And it doesn't have to be. We can be useful. This part, moving forward. And Satan will fight us. And struggles and strifes will come in. You know, I was studying, I'm going to close, but I was reading through Galatians, as you can tell, chapter 5, and I was reading about the works of the flesh. And there were three of them that really jumped out to me as when God begins to move in a church, three different ones that seem to be more prominent or can or Satan can sow those things. One was enmity. You know what that is? It's it's an outdated word we don't use too much anymore. And I think even the English usage of it today is not a a full encompassing of what the Greek was back then. It's it's more than a distaste with what somebody is doing. But it's not quite a malevolence. It's in this in-between area. The way I would describe it in modern day is this. You secretly don't like somebody. And so you're congenial, you're nice, but there is a division based upon a deep-rooted dislike for someone. Every church I've ever been a part of has had that. It's noticeable in the clicks. It's noticeable in the tension. It's noticeable in the lack of expressed love towards certain people. Satan can so easily sow those things. And once he sows them, they can be there for a long time. God wants to dig out that root of bitterness amongst people. Jesus even taught us when you're standing in the temple and you're praying, if you know that you have aught against a brother, leave your gift at the altar and go and reconcile it. This morning, I don't have any, I'm too new to know of any of that stuff going on here. But I'll say, if there is this secret, hidden feelings towards people, and it might sound absurd for you to go to them, you might say, in 1982, this is what happened. And if I'm being honest, I've never forgiven you for it. Go make it right. Because what we experience this week can be the least of what God has in store. I mean, if I'm being honest, I've been so deprived spiritually over the last couple decades as a church member that if we just stayed where we were at until I died, I'd probably be really happy. But to know that God has an abundance more for us, that's available, things beyond what we ask and think, You just got a foretaste. I want it. And if there's an obstacle in the way because of me or because of you, won't you lay your gifts, your work at the altar temporarily and go reconcile it? The next one he says is divisions. And that's like outward divisions that you see. That's things like what COVID could have done to us and did to some churches. Divided them, right? I'm the mask crew, I'm the non-mask crew, and I don't like you. So easy for a church to allow those things, and I think it was a, a test for a lot of churches. Is the spirit of love and condescension to my brother going to prevail? Or is my right to do what I want? He says that divisions were a part of it. I hope this morning... I hope that God will help us moving forward to be a useful church for him. Hot or cold, but I'm tired of the stagnant water, and I hope you are too. And that will involve you being willing to live as you have this week. Don't retreat back into that shell because it's comfortable. I'm not saying you have to talk as much as you have or or sing as much as you, or whatever. But you need to be as accessible to the Lord as you have been all week long. That's our message this morning. I pray that God would use it in your heart as he's in mine this week.